You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Season 2, new intro, let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love her. 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 Brown skin. Love a brown skin, love a brown skin, my brown skin. Love a brown skin, hold me down. Yeah. <laughs> I love that intro. Shout out to Lockershaw at Lockershaw on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, all that stuff, man. That's brown skin. Love a brown skin. Love that track, man. Shout out to Dream Out Loud. Man, you are now listening to episode 27 of the Minority Trailblazer podcast, hosted by Greg E. Hill, the Culture change agent. That's me, man. I'm excited. I'll pump as usual. And we got a show for you today. And before I jump into the episode, I just want to do a couple housekeeping things. One, no market calendars. November 11th through 13th, we will have the first Minority Trailblazer Summit. And it's going to be huge. I'm talking about game changers from all different industries convening in Durham, North Carolina. The price is going to be affordable. And I want you and all your friends to attend. Information will be coming out in the next few months, but shout out to Megan, Brittany, and a lot of others that already reached out. So make sure you keep your eyes and ears open and tell the world because this is about to change the freaking game. Two, if you haven't already, you already know I'm an author. I'm on to my second book. And shout out to everybody that listened to the podcast that supported the book signing. It was last Thursday. We had a lot of people come out, man. I mean, it was a game changer. Sign all the books, deliver the message, man. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. And for more information about it, you can go to greggehill.com backslash book. My third housekeeping thing, and I got four today. The third. If you're listening via iTunes, I need you to do two things. First, leave a review on the podcast. Please stop what you're doing right now. Leave a review. Second, make sure you're sharing the podcast with your friends because it's been growing exponentially, but I know that we can still share and impact a lot more lives. So continue to please share it with all your friends. And last but not least, I've been getting a lot of inquiries for people that want to be on the show. And uh, I'm going to be responding to email sometime next week to all those people. So if you have a friend you want to refer on the show that's doing big things, this is not just a promote promotion opportunity. This is somebody that really has a message they want to share. Please make sure you email me at greg at greggyhill.com. And I'll make sure that we, we communicate sometime within next week. So remember, refer your friends. And uh, yeah, that's what it's all about. So let me get on to the show. Today's guest, and I'm working out, I'm doing all cold opens. There's no more me reading off the book and whatnot. I'm just going to go straight from the core. Today's guest, I actually, I, I never met her in person. I met her through 
met her her product through Sherry Williams. I was doing an event last month, and it's a common theme. Sherry Williams is the plug in DC. I'm telling you, if you in DC and you don't know who Sherry Williams is or know her way of the movement, go look her up online and whatnot. Sherry Williams, she is a boss, and I was connected through her because on social media over the last mm, last year or so, I've always seen these shirts online that had uh, all these names of. Unfortunately, those that are of color, these people of color that have been killed or shot by police brutality or, or things of that nature, man, female, and all those things. So I, I kept seeing these shirts online. And then one day I was like, who, who's behind all these shirts? Like, I mean, outside of what they, they, they stand for, they're beautiful shirts. And um, it really just crystallizes your head not to forget. Like, I got, a, I got a wristband right now and I wear every single day that says bless up. And then it says fight amnesia. Because you know it's easy to forget when you're living your life, when you're doing amazing things, you write books, you're doing podcasts, you're doing all these things for the world, for your family, for your country. But it's easy to forget those that have been incarcerated unjustly, that have been killed in cold blood. Those that don't have those resources or the people around them to support them and be there for them. It's easy to forget. And her, her shirt's message not only helped me remember but also it holds society accountable because man, like she's the founder of gloss rags and it's the shirt you've seen all. And, and honestly, we're going to get into the show what the name of the line is because you would probably just know whether the shirt with all the names of the people that died on it, but it's a lot bigger than that. It has a lot more context. And I'm telling you, if you wear her clothing anywhere, then people, especially white people, I ain't going to lie. If you're white and listening to this, I'm going to just be real. You're going to see this shirt. You're going to be like, okay, who are those names? And then when you tell them, they look at you funny. And it grabs a lot of attention. So it's, it's a shirt that you got to do your research before you wear it. Because I said on, I, t- I said in the podcast, like, it took me a couple months to wear that shirt because I didn't know the names, all of the names on it. It was females. So I had to do my research. So if somebody asked me, I didn't say something dumb. But, and I also like to say her movement and what she stands for is far bigger than that Shapiro. I mean, she has a podcast. She does pop-up shots. She's a speaker. She does a lot of things on culture, a lot of things on change, and a lot of things on staying, keeping people accountable, but most importantly, keeping yourself accountable to be knowledgeable about what's going on, the injustices, not only in the African-American community, but also in the Latino community, also in the Muslim community, also in any community you're a part of, there are injustices. And she has and utilize her power her gift to help people be aware of that so uh, without further ado i would like to introduce black girl magic personified entrepreneur personified legend personified the mm, i was about to say the man the woman the myth the legend randy gloss to the minority trailblazer podcast welcome to the show hello <laughs> Oh man, I'm excited. I'm excited. Like, and I tell y'all audience, I we've been working for a month plus trying to get it together, but our schedule's finally aligned and I finally get her on the show and I'm pumped. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're new to the show, you already know how it works out. We start off with a quote, then we got three rounds. We talk about the past, before, before the business, before social entrepreneurship, before it stands, boom. We talk about the present. What does it look like? Then we transition and talk about the future. And at the end, we got the culture change round. So let's jump right into it. Y'all know I'm a quote guy. So Randy, please start the show off with a quote and a story about how you apply that quote to your everyday life. So I don't have the exact quote because I literally just heard it a couple minutes ago. <laughs> uh, 
I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Another Round. Oh, with yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to get Heben on the show, man. They, they playing. I love them. <laughs> I love, love, love them. Um, and so they were uh, had on the shoe Bahrainian human rights activist Maryam Al-Khawaja. I hope I said that right. Um, and so they were asking her, you know, they were asking her about the Arab Spring. And they were telling this story about um, this man. He's a, a street vendor in Bahrain. And he eventually basically he just set himself on fire after having been slapped um, by a police officer and so she was saying that the struggle is really about um, is about dignity and that really stuck with me because even here in the United States in 2016 so many black Americans are just looking for dignity you know looking for equal wage looking for the ability to not be passed over their job because of their name um, the dignity when it comes to treatment, equal treatment and all these different things. So that really stuck with me, really resonated with me. So that's definitely something. Um, and, and it's, I mean, the same thing back, back in the fifties and sixties with the, the emergence of the civil rights movement, it was the same thing. It wasn't just about equal rights, but it was for dignity for us as people, as human beings who have dreams, who have families, um, who have aspirations and really want to be recognized as fully human, not as property, um, not as a workforce, not as a statistic. Mm -hmm. So that really stuck with me. So that's, I'm rocking with that quote today. I got you. So how do you apply, like, like give us a story on how, how you apply that to your everyday life. I mean, in many ways, I think that there's something dignified about wearing the encounting shirt. Mm -hmm. um, because you're saying that I, I recognize I stand as a person of color, as a black person, but also I'm upholding the dignity of these brothers and sisters who are no longer with us because what mainstream media, you know, consistently tries to do is discredit us as people, um, as lives and, and paint the picture and, and control the narrative. And so they try and say, oh, well, Mike was stealing or Oscar had a criminal record or, you know, um, Renisha was drunk and all these different things. And all those being said, those are those are human characteristics. Those are human flaws. And we all have those regardless of race. But you should not be able to attack a person's dignity at all. Um, and so I think about that because, you know, it, it can be tough wearing these shirts. It can be tough doing the work that I do, especially when it, it's like it really is an assault on their dignity. So I just try by continuing to make these shirts and do the work that I do through Glossag, I'm trying to uphold the dignity of our, our our lost brothers and sisters. I got you. I got you. And before we jump right in, I will be remiss if if you explain what Encounted the, the the movement is, because for for any of our audience that may be not aware of the whole the Gloss Rags movement and whatnot, can you please briefly explain uh, what that really is? Yeah. So it's funny. Um, whenever if I'm out or somebody's introducing me to somebody they're like yeah you know you seen those shirts with all the names yeah that's what um, i said that's what i said like someone like who you interview i'm at randy gloss you know gloss rags like uh i don't know this shirt with the names oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and like people will usually say you know like trayvon and mike and throw in some of the more um more easily recognizable names but basically in uh august of 2013 one of my close friends reached out to me he was working at gap busters at the time um, and that's a nonprofit here in Montgomery and PG County that works to um, close the minority achievement gap for black and Latino students. And so he was like, hey, why don't do you want to come through and make some signs with my students? I'm taking a group down for the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. So I was like, yeah, of course. 
I love um I love working with kids, you know. So I go there and I'm just sitting around chopping it up. I think somebody was playing some music and um I just was drawing out different signs and stuff. Like one I drew said, We still have dreams. Uh, you know, kind of like a play on MLK speech. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote out Emmett and Amadou and Sean and Oscar and Trayvon, and I had a period. Mm -hmm. Then it said more than just black faces and tragic spaces. And so at that, moment, at that moment, it really did feel like someone had hit me in the chest. Um, and so I just kind of like looked around. I was like, I'm going to take this sign with me. Um, so a few days later, I think it was probably like a Thursday to Saturday type thing. Um, I meet back up with my friend and his students. And my mother and a group from her church, um, and we're at the march, and I'm just carrying it. And every, you know, we're by making our way from maybe Federal Triangle mm -hmm. down to um, the steps of the Lincoln and the Washington, yeah, the steps of the Lincoln. Um, and so, like, basically walking that whole trip down there, folks are stopping me asking to take pictures of the sign um, or I'm just watching. I had sunglasses on, so I really could just kind of like look at everybody without, you know, without, without your eyes looking at directly. Right. At like staring <laughs> at them or side eye or anything like that. <laughs> so um, I was just really taking in everybody's facial expressions. And a lot of people look shocked or you just saw their jaw, the jaw drop or just like, you know, very noticeable, visible reactions. Um, and so I definitely took note about that. And even there was a, a German couple who walked up to me and they're like, who are these men? Um, and so when I get home, I got home and I just drew it out on like a little orange sticky note, um, the names on the T-shirt. And then just really prayed about it. Um, I think I kept that sticky note in my car. And um, then I told my mom, I was like, I think, I think I want this to be something more. I think it can be something more. So I started talking about it to different friends. Um, friends that I trusted and, and who are fellow creatives, poets, things like that. Um, and then February 2014 rolled around. I reached out to my mentor. I was like, yo, I just need $500 for 100 shirts. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, seriously, I think I'm going to something. So um, he asked me to like make a business plan, which I knew nothing about because I, I studied African-American studies and journalism in school. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty foreign to me. My father's an entrepreneur, but, um, you know, it wasn't something that I grew up knowing how to write a business plan, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, so at first he said, no, you got to do better. So I went back to the drawing board, um, tightened it up, and then he uh, ended up paying for my first 100 shirts, um, which I went to call the Ann Counting Collection because basically, so on the sign, it ended with a period. But my friend, Nate, uh, Nate Marshall, he's a poet, amazing poet out of um, Chicago, Southside. He was like, why don't you do an ellipsis? And so I was like, I think that's it. Like when he said that and I drew it out, I was like, this looks like, this looks like, you know, it's right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, now having started with six names and going to, there's t 17 on the men's version and, or 17 men and 10 women now. And we started with um, six and five respectively. Like it just is more than appropriate. Um, a little sad at times, but that's basically what, has been come to known as the end counting collection mm -hmm. rather than the shirt with the names. Got you, got <laughs> because you. I'm glad. You know, another name and counting. And even before the ellipsis symbolizes not just a continuation of a horrible, um, I don't know, genocide, maybe uh, tragedy. There's so many things that it can be called travesty. Um, but also there always were and have been more names that could ever fit 
on one shirt. And <laughs> so it kind of does kind of plays two roles. Yeah, because we're just talking about 21st century. We're not even talking about back in the day. But nonetheless, um, that shirt, thanks for giving that thorough explanation. And it's crazy because uh, that shirt, that shirt will, because I got the shirt I got it when I when I spoke at one of the events with, shout out to Sherry Williams and her, her way. Woo-woo, Sherry. Um, but I wore it to, and, and then I finally, it took me three months to wear it because it's one of these shirts. If you don't know these names, people going to be like, oh, who, who, like, who are those people? And if you, be, if you say something crazy, you gonna, it's going to make you feel bad about yourself. So I ain't going to lie. It took me three months to finally bring that thing out. <laughs> so once I wore it, man, the faces I was getting, man, I was, I was kind of nervous. I, I ain't going to lie. I only brought that thing out three times since then because it's a, it's a lot, but we're going we gonna to jump into that later in the show. But right now, let's bring it all the way back. Before Gloss Rags, before all this, who are you? Like, who is Randy? Like, can you, can you share us a little bit about your background, where you come from, and uh, what makes you you? Sure. Um, I'm a bit of a nomad, I guess. Um, not by choice, but I was born in D.C., uh, Northwest. And then when I was three, we moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, so my just my brother and I, he's um like about a year and a half older than me. It was just him and I, the only black kids in our class um, in Santa Fe. So we were there for six years. Then we moved to Raleigh for two years. You and was in then, Raleigh in North Carolina? Yes, I was. I didn't know. That's crazy. Um, I, I'm a Duke fan. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We about, I almost hit the, hit the button on the podcast, man. <laughs> um, and then we moved back to the D.C. area. Um, so I actually went to high school in Montgomery County. Um, and yeah. And then I went to Northwestern, um, for college. So I was studying journalism out there. In at Illinois? Yes. Outside so, yeah, of, so right what, outside of Chicago. Gotcha. What, what drove you to the, the Northwestern? Well, um, I, so I had applied to, but like I applied to Syracuse. They had a really strong journalism mm-hmm. program. Boston university's program was pretty legit. Um, Indiana, University, NYU, um, I'm trying to think, a few different, Vanderbilt, just kind of like all over, but with uh, pretty pretty strong journalism programs. Mm-hmm. And my mom was really the one who said, have you heard about Northwestern? And I hadn't. So we just kind of like make our way out there for, um, I don't know what they call them, the open house, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it um, because there was a student who was talking about, she had gone overseas for her internship and reported on the immigration issues between South Africans and uh, folks from Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. And when you're in America, you think, you know, oh, the only border that matters is ours in in Mexico. And it's like, no, (laughs) immigration issues are universal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it really opened my mind. But I also just thought it was really dope that she could have international reporting experience as an undergrad. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of really sold me. So I just um, applied and I got in and um, they gave me the best offer as well. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Newhouse over at Syracuse, their school, J School, is awesome. Um, shout out to my boy, um, Lawrence, who is an on air personality with Revolt. Um, he came through Newhouse, so they definitely do great work over there. Um, but yeah, so I just ended up at Northwestern, and it was definitely an interesting experience there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you could, uh, I, I do want you to talk about your experience there. But when did you when did you realize that that journalism or this mass communications thing was was it? Um, I think that. So I've always been a writer since I could literally hold a pencil. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I journaled pretty much every day as a child. I remember being on a plane, writing a rap about the Bulls winning the championship in like 97 <laughs> or 98. <laughs> I remember writing like a poem slash rap about my one of my cousins. He was, I think I was nine or 10. He was 14, lived in Philly, and his heart just stopped. And so my parents went to his funeral and everything, and they were telling me about it. So I wrote about um, Kelby's funeral about, you know, they were telling us they were busloads of kids and stuff. So I was always, always writing poetry, short stories, um, in my journal, like dear journal. And then like half an hour later, three pages deep, like <laughs> I've noted every single detail about my day. Um, so that's just always been an interest of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love talking to people. I love asking questions. Um, you know, anytime we'd have an interview project or, or a school a school project, I'd find some way to interview somebody. Um, so that's pretty, I don't know. I just think that that's, that's just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then your, your, so. and your parents, you said your dad. So did you, cause your dad was an entrepreneur. What'd your mom do? My mom is an educator. Mm-hmm. Um, she went to Holy Cross and then finished up at Howard. Um, and she then also, she was a psych major. So she was developing personnel tests for the DC police force, like the entrance, the entrance psych exams that officers had to take. Um, she was making those, which she definitely has a bunch of interesting, interesting stories with that. But as an educator, um, she was always like, you know, we would, it was a thing for us to, for her to take us to the museum, Mm -hmm. um, to, to read to us literature, like not Western literature, but, you know, black playwrights and poets, um, and th- things like that and authors. And so I think because my parents were very much um, wanted to wanted us to know about our people and our rich history and culture, because I mean, honestly, it is a challenge like being quote unquote African-American. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. You know, when you don't know where in Africa you're from versus like in Montgomery County, there's hella Nigerians, there's hella Africans in general, like a lot of Caribbean folks. And so those you know, my friends had first generation, like their parents are first generation immigrants, basically. So it's like, okay, my parents were in Trinidad before they came here, you know, so I know where I'm from. Versus when you're an African American, like you have to do a lot of work to actually figure out where you're from. Um, so, but I think that there's, is so we have contributed tremendously to the de- development of this country, to the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and still, I mean, to this day, still are, like we're looked at for fashion trends, for music, um, for so many different things. Um, so I think that they just really made it a point to expose us to that at a very young age. Um, and even like when we were moving from Santa Fe to um, Raleigh, we drove through the South and stopped at the Civil Rights Museum in Alabama in Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Um, we went and saw, you know, in in, in that museum, they have a, a piece of the actual bus that was charred um, during t- charred and bombed during the freedom ride. So I saw that I knew who the four little girls were, mm-hmm. um, all these different things. And I think I was, uh, yeah, like no more than nine at the time when I was learning about those things. Um, and so I think having that, you know, planting that seed when you're young, I think does so much because once it's in you, 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 your parents can water, but then you're like, Oh, I want to keep this growing, mm-hmm. you know? So I took a, it was one, my teacher, Ms. Barlev, uh, she's the only uh, teacher teaching a civil rights class in Montgomery County at the time in middle school. So I took that when I was in eighth grade. But I'll never forget, I actually got kicked out of her class because I fell, <laughs> I fell asleep. Um, 
some there were some class periods where she would show Eyes on the Prize, but I had already seen it. <laughs> so it would not be intentional, but I would doze off, you know. And one, <laughs> you just in the back, just cooling. Truly in the back. And she was like, she said she called my name three times before I responded. So she kicked me out. <laughs> and I mean, I was one of her best students, but, you know, it's like it's a matter of respect. Like, you know, you shouldn't fall asleep in class. But <laughs> yeah, respect the culture, man. <laughs> but nah, that's 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 crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. So take us to so you went to you went to school. So before you started Gloss Rags, what, what were you doing before then? Like what led up to even this movement? And, and, and from your story it already seems like it's been a natural progression of things. And I think like, honestly, like life just happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I got a phone call, um, when I was still about a month away from graduating, um, from my mom saying that my grandfather had stage four cancer. And so I just made a decision basically that I was going to move home and I wasn't going to apply to any jobs because I didn't feel comfortable being more than like, honestly, like an hour away from him, probably less. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm like my brother, he's got two kids and he's up in Boston. And so I was like, well, I don't have anything to do. I don't have any obligations really other than to like, you know, walk across the stage with this diploma. So um, I just came home and I was working at J. Crew, like right down on 9th and F. Um, I started substitute teaching. I was working at different restaurants around D.C. So I really kind of was just doing this like rotational odd, odd job circuit um and then i remember i guess it was the fall of 2014 it was november and i was frustrated because i was subbing i was subbing while also working at a restaurant mm -hmm. and like they moved up our call time so we had to be instead of being at the restaurant at like four we had to be there at 3 30 and at the time, I had, like, a 10-day gig at Gaithersburg High School. So, like, imagine going from Gaithersburg to, like, around 14th and U. Uh, that's not a short drive. Um, so I'm, like, busting my butt to get there. And then I would just, like, have little mistakes. Like, I might read it, ring in somebody's order wrong mm -hmm. or, you know, just kind of being absent-minded, which is not really – I'm a good server. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been working, I've been working in restaurants since I was 19. I'm 25 now so there was just kind of like atypical but i couldn't really kind of like bounce back so i went from having like four shifts a week to two to one to being taken off the schedule entirely damn but i was just like literally a few days before and like my pride was hurt my feelings were hurt because i was just like hold up like i was making good money like you know especially being on 14th and you like folks DC, would come in oh, for like yeah. big company mm -hmm. dinners and you know everybody's got the amex company card and you're like all right I that company card stuff. come out you just start ordering all sorts of things like you ain't never seen food before exactly and especially when you give good service like they're like yeah we'll take another round or oh thank that was a great suggestion you know all those things so but anyways um so november 25th 2014 was when the non-indictment came out for darren wilson the officer that killed mike brown mm -hmm. and um in that in a 24-hour period we almost got 200 orders in a day and wow. so that was crazy because we usually, at that time, we were probably averaging, I don't know, maybe like 10 to 25 orders a week. Now it's mm -hmm. somewhere in like the 25 to 40 range. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, so imagine like you're used to, okay, I got to ship out 10, 15 shirts this week. No, you have to ship out 180 shirts. It's a whole different, whole <laughs> different type so of urgency. Crazy. Yeah. And I was so swamped and overwhelmed. Um Cause I was like, I don't have staff. Like I just have me, you know, and my friends went out, you know, Hey, like y'all trying to get a free shirt. I'll feed you, you know? And so 
that um that happened and at that point I really didn't have time to do anything else so I um just I finished up that sub job and I didn't like you know get into it with my manager I just accepted that that was how it was supposed to be um and just started really focusing on gloss drags um and that was I mean that was pretty much it you know I just I felt like I had to do what I need to do for my family um I had you know it was tough having to watch my grandfather die that summer and um you know but I I know that uh I know that he's proud of me and I know that you know and it's it's been good for my family to see the growth because at first they were kind of like what are you what are you doing what are these boxes what is this gloss <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know uh-huh. and especially because when you you know when you have when you go to like northwestern and I was there. I mean, tuition is probably more now, but it was, you know, it was fifty-two thousand dollars a year. Oh, that's a good stuff. Don't you use that kind of terminology on the podcast? Oh, I can tell you my bad. Yeah, and so you know, I have like, of course, I have student loans just like anybody else, and and to also to go like, you know, Medill, the school of journalism at question, they have eighty percent job placement, you know, for students that come through there. Like Mike Wilbon went to my school, Christine Brennan, um, Jay Adonde, one of the guys from Mike and Mike in the Morning, like. They all came through Northwestern and it's like, okay, here I am and I don't have a job, you know, mm-hmm. but what I was like, I'm not looking for one either. At some point I came to a realization. I was like, no, I don't want to be a local TV personality. Like that's not what I want to do anymore. I want to tell stories, but in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was definitely, it was definitely a, a trying period where I was frustrated um, with the, I don't, it was never like resentment from my family, but I just think they had, it took a while for them to kind of understand and also wrap their head around like what I was doing mm-hmm. uh, and what I was going to do. But then, you know, moments when like I go from having like three boxes of shirts to like 12 in my grandma's house. And <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. So what do you have more packages? And like, I'm taking like huge bins of, you know, packages out to the post office then then at that point it, it became a little more real for them and easier for them to understand so yeah and i want to i want to uh take away a couple nuggets that i shared and then um ask you a couple pressing questions a couple nuggets i already seen was even before you even launched gloss rags it's kind of like you did a a sample from the reactions from from the actual uh from the actual from the march i remember you talking about a march and you, this is where the idea came that it's not like a proof of concept it ain't like a, th- a lot of market research when that was done but it was just oh wow i'm getting a reaction so let me put this down let me remember this boom and then it just it's a culmination of all your experiences so we have a lot of people that are listening right now that are have ideas but don't know how to start what to start or or, or what it is so can you break down that time period so when you had the idea when it was just on that post-it note in the car <laughs> to the f- like getting the first design made and doing that like what did that look like how long did it take and what was it like for you so okay so the sign happened november to no sorry august 2013 mm-hmm. and then i reached out to my mentor in february 2014 and then i actually began selling the shirts um at broccoli city fest here in dc shout out to bc fest mm-hmm. um in april of 2014 so basically, it was just a matter of, um, I guess, first and foremost, believing that, believing in myself, believing in the idea, mm-hmm. and, 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 and trusting that the reactions that 
I got that I noticed from folks, you know, when I was carrying the sign, but also that those would continue if if the it was if it was translated into a shirt. Mm-hmm. So there's the first thing. And when you think about it, I mean, t-shirts are very like t-shirts, super simple, classic, basic clothing. You know, mm-hmm. like everybody pretty much owns a t-shirt. Um, and so, so I was like, okay, this, you know, this makes sense. This is something that anybody can wear, literally. Um, and then, you know, I one of my my mentor, uh, Brandon and Peter. They, I met them when I, I was like 15 years old, and they were my age, like 22, 23 at the time. And they basically are aficionados in the do-it-yourself art scene. Mm. And so now they're. Um, you know, Peter's, I think they're both in their early thirties. And so I had seen their growth because they own their own art gallery. Um, and that's where like we had our glass rides one year anniversary last year. Um, and they've been written up and they've done all these huge murals and just different, just crazy build outs and all these things, um, across the city and, and art basil and things like that. So I'd seen their growth and, but also like I, I, I definitely consider myself a hustler. Like when I was, when I met them, I was like, yo, like you guys are super dope. Um, I was in a leadership program at the time that brought together students from all over um, the DMV, include like public and private school mm-hmm. each. It was once a month for like six months. So it was arts, it was arts day and, and um, Brandon was there and they had this thing at the time called the document. So basically they would like have these huge puddles of paint and then use their bodies as like paint, paintbrushes and then break dance on canvas and I thought that was like super dope so I got their contact information and then when I was in this journalism program the urban journalism workshop um, with the Washington Post I followed up with them I was like hey I want to do a story on you guys so like my partner and I we go out we got a little camera you know and we do a story about them but after that I just stayed in touch with them mm-hmm. um, and and just was like hey you guys have an art show can I work or can I help you set up you know so basically from that time period, like those seven, eight years until I had the idea for Gloss Rags, they saw that I was willing to work. Um, they saw that I was ambitious. And so when it came to me reaching out to them for the loan, um, you know, they, they, I, there was that trust element and there was a very strong relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then after that, you know, they paid for the first 100 shirts. And I also like, so I guess like, Really, the gloss rags came from just, I mean, Randy Gloss, gloss rags. So it was just kind of like an easy translation between, uh, I guess, me as a person and the brand. Mm-hmm. But gloss rags itself is the juxtaposition of the raw and the refined. And so we deal with a lot of raw issues, police brutality, um, you know, racial profiling, stereotyping, uh, you know, modern day oppression, things like that. And... But the shirt itself is a nice, it's a good quality shirt. And we pride ourselves on making, you know, high quality goods. So that's really where the name came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a name. And then um, one of my homegirls, she's just kind of, she's really like a jack of all trades. Um, so we met up a couple times and we like created the concept for our pop-up shop at Broccoli City Fest. Mm-hmm. And then um, she helped create my first logo um, and then, we set up the online store, the Big Cartel. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. Everybody start that Big Cartel. www.glossrack.bigcartel.com. Exactly. Yeah. That was our home for like I think the first from uh, from April through August was the mud. Big mm-hmm. Cartel. Um, 
and yeah, and that and that was kind of it. So just got those shirts printed, um, worked with a local partner here in DC, and then it just went from there. So yeah, yeah. So share with our audience. Um, and I would like to say, knowing what you know now, so because you're now you're two years in the game, correct? Almost two. Yep. So knowing knowing the lay of the land, you got your first almost your first two years in the belt. What would you tell yourself, knowing what you know now, when you first started Gloss Rags? What would be the top um, two things you sell yourself? I think learn more um, because there's no like no entrepreneur's story is the same, mm -hmm. um, but there are resources, and I think that like I've had to learn a lot of things on the fly. Um, like what? Uh, I mean, I just like I was like, okay, I think I need an LLC or something. Like, I don't want anybody, you know. For like a legal standpoint, I was like, if somebody tries to sue me or if somebody tries to steal our concept or whatever, mm -hmm. I need to have some like, you know, legal entity or official entity to have behind, not just like, you know, Randy Gloss. So like I had to kind of teach myself a little bit about that and doing that paperwork, um, even like taxes, like money stuff is just oh, like, yeah. oh, I wish they, I feel like they should teach you that in school, in high school, in middle school, really, because it's like to know how to manage a budget, create a budget, um, you know, those type of things, like it can be really scary. Um, and like all, I mean, being in compliance and business insurance and blah, 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 like all of these things, like I don't that I've had to learn all that on the fly. So I think that learning more, um, yeah, like learning more of the technical stuff, I think I, I wish I would have, I guess, taken more time to do it. But again, like, I don't, I didn't know that Gloucester X was going to become what it is. Yeah. So <laughs> that was kind of like, oh, no, I'm just, like, trying to make sure I keep all the balls in the air. I don't know, maybe, like, to take more time for myself sometimes because I think – um, or yeah, probably just like allowing myself to grieve a little bit more because there are times where I just feel so deeply, um, for the people who are on the shirt and like looking at the names every day and the list of names. Um, I don't always yeah, take it's... the time to talk to other people mm -hmm. or write down my feelings or share my feelings. Um, so I think like doing that because it, it can be, you know, it's very taxing work. Um, my heart goes out to Marshawn McCarroll's family. Uh, brother is 23 years old, and he shot and killed himself a little over a month ago in Ohio after having just been at the uh, Image Awards a few days prior with his mother um, out in L.A. And, like, he created a couple of nonprofits, one dealing with um, feeding the homeless, the other dealing with, like, youth empowerment um, because those are both issues that he had struggled with. Um and he, you know, he took his life and he was definitely, he was hugely instrumental in organizing student activists across Ohio for Black Lives Matter and things of that nature, especially with um, Tamir Rice's case. So it just broke my heart when I heard the news. Um, it's, you know, like anytime I see a name attached to the hashtag, my heart stops, you know, because that day I remember I was like, it was in February. Um, I had committed to writing um wearing a different and counting shirt each day of February and then writing about it. So I was like, oh, yeah, I made it through the day. You know, nobody stared at me too crazy. Nobody asked me a question about the shirt. Like I was in my I was at my apartment chilling, making some food. And all of a sudden my phone goes off and I see the hashtag and I'm just like, oh, no, not another one. 
is it an officer shooting? But then come to find out, you know, he took his life. Like, that was really hard for me. Um, and I think, you know, just, again, being able to, even sometimes it's a matter of, like, forcing myself to talk more about how this work makes me feel, I think, is important from, like, for, from a self-care aspect. Yeah, because I know um, it, has, it has to be difficult when you're confronted with such heavy things day in, day out with the with the products that that you make but i definitely think and um not to not to jump in front of ourselves but the evolution of just um gloss rags in general allows in my opinion as i look at it may have be start allow you to share your voice and share other things outside like when i looked on the the website last couple days i was like the first time i looked was a couple months ago and okay it was it was a clothing site had some stuff and now look i was like wow this is like yeah, I see interviews, I see podcasts. I'm like, this is this is a a a, a, a real empowerment because there's a lot of brands out there that are attaching themselves some in the right way, some in the wrong way to um, causes. But I believe Gloss Rags is definitely unique because y'all. It, it seems like y'all really embody it, and now I, I I've, I've been enlightened to see, and I've been blessed to see the growth in other areas and other pieces and other mediums to really share kind of what's going on in a, in, in a, and I feel, and it's not a fun mood. I want to say fun, but in a, just a, a, a creative light. And it kind of, it, it brings in not a smile, like a what's going on, but a lighter tone to, to what's going on in the culture. Yeah. I think, um, I think that it's aside from being creative, I think it's innovative mm-hmm. because it's like, how do you address such a heavy issue, um, in a, in in a smart way. Mm -hmm. And I think that again, like everybody owns a t-shirt, you know? Um, but also when I see that we have folks who are buying, you know, coming back and shopping with us for their fourth, fifth and sixth time, it really lets me know that this is something that's important to them. Um, but also like it, I, the beautiful thing about the shirts is that the encounter collection is that it allows people to feel empowered. Like not everybody can drop what they're doing and go to a protest or not everybody can afford to get arrested. Um, and things like that. And I understand that. Like, And I think that the shirts really help to meet people where they're at, but at the same time, allow them to feel empowered and to um, help check other people's privilege in their in their lives and in the communities that they're in and out of. So um, it's just, I mean, it's been awesome Like to see the growth. It's Everything is surprising to me too, because I, like I said, I really had no idea what I was creating, but I'm just so thankful to God really because that people have continued to support us these past, um, you know, two years and, and that there's, I mean, there's definitely more in store. I just, you know, growing from, you know, just gloss rags and having the two shirts to like the stay woke jackets. Um, we did another shirt, a couple months ago and, being able to do a podcast because that's more storytelling. And like last year we did um, pop-up shops in LA, San Antonio, Austin, New Orleans, DC. And that was amazing to be able to patron other businesses of color Mm -hmm. that have brick and mortar stores, but also to invite people out, meet people from the community and really hear what is it like? Like what is the relationship like with you and the police and in your community or was it as what is it like being a, a black person in LA versus like Austin? Like these are vastly different cities. But even if you think about it, break down a city like what's it like being in Compton versus like West LA, you know, things like that. Like there's huge differences as well. So really um that's gonna turn into we we're working diligently on on turning that footage into a documentary 
um, that hopefully will be out later this year. So just so many things that have doors that have opened, um, ideas that have just been coming, becoming realities. I'm just so thankful for that. Yeah, I, I do want to speak on, and I don't never, uh, I never ask our guests, and I'm gonna start doing it this year, is because there's a lot of narrative on dealing with failure, dealing with overcoming things, but how do you deal with success or growing or opportunities? Because I mean, I can speak specifically. I'm at a point now where every day there's a there's a there's an interview request. There's somebody asking for your time. Hey, can I pick your brain on this? Or can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do that? Can you do that? You do that? This is not even like stuff I get paid for. This is not even like what right. brings in revenue. So how, how do you da- how do you deal now where your brand is, is on the come up, you're getting more features, you're getting more orders, you're getting more innovators, a lot of opportunities. How do you go about selecting what opportunities to put your time on? And um, what advice would you give for, for those entrepreneurs that are having a lot of success, but now they see their time, is they're kind of getting overloaded with things that are even outside of their core work. Yeah, um, I think that for me, it's just like being humble and knowing that, you know, whoever, whoever it was that wrote the first article about Gloss Rags, um, I'm internally grateful for them because if I, you know, I mean, then I guess I, I really wasn't in a position to be like, no, <laughs> <laughs> no <I'm bad>. <laughs> <laughs> but like now I, I, you know, it doesn't matter really to me, like, I'm not necessarily looking at how many followers you have or like, you know, if you're a, I mean, we still haven't, you know, the Washington Post has not knocked on our door for a story, nor has the New York Times or, you know, uh, there's still a lot of levels. Yeah. There's, there's still a lot of levels. And so that's why for the most part, I try and say yes. Um, Mm -hmm. I find myself saying no at times where I'm truly like, I don't want to overcommit or, um, or, or, you know, because, Because it's like, there's so much to do. There's merch, there's, you know, planning community events. There's um, always be marketing to it. It's like, (laughs) yeah, there's there's so many different things. And so the, so like right now what I'm doing is like, I, I'll say if you're willing to do an interview over the phone or a web that I can do that, because sometimes I just don't have the time to sit down and type out answers, physical responses, but I can talk to you over the phone or via, you know, on the internet, like that's easier for me than to actually take the time to sit down and write something out. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I'll just try and modify it. But I think with success, like I'm just so humble. Like it's also really weird to me that people, (laughs) um, it's at the point where people actually recognize me in public sometimes. Like I was in, I went back to Northwestern for homecoming in October and I was at um, a a bar and a, a woman walked up to me and she was like, what are you, she was like, are you Randy Gloss? I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing here? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I can't be at a bar. Like, if I got that, I hear, you know, or even a few months back, um, Devin Allen, uh, he had a show in Philly, um, of it was called a, a beautiful ghetto. And so he had some, a lot of his uh, photos on display and had some of the Baltimore activists up there talking about the uprising and things. And so we rocked out to support him. You know, but it's only like a two hour, two and a half hour drive, depending on traffic from DC. So another student was like, she like went to Temple. She's like, What do you I know you live in DC, but why are you here? And I was like, Well, I'm a real person, you know, like I can travel just like you can travel too. So it's it's interesting. That's definitely the most interesting thing to me is like or even like I I posted my, my friend's um um 
Premium Co. and Rock Creek Social and No Kings Collective did an amazing pop-up shop um, by Union Market, and I think that was in January. And so I posted a picture of being there, and then somebody commented and was like, I thought that was you. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, I'm not. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, but I think with I think success, you just you just have to remain humble. Like, I'm just always grateful to God and thanking him for like every little opportunity that comes my way or like, you know, if a student group, like I just worked with the student group, um, in Jersey to, they have a fashion show, um, and they wanted some of our, our stuff. And so I worked with them. I was like, Hey, what's your budget? Let me see what I can do. Let me see, you know, how many pieces we can, you know, we can get for you at, with, with the numbers that you guys have. So just like being able to meet people where they're at. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm grateful, like, interviews and stuff like that that's like a two-way street because it helps me and it helps them as well so yeah 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 so um i know we've been kind of on a present day tip but i just want to formally introduce the present day segment so what is a typical day like for you because what what is a day like for people that that of course you're creative you do stuff outside of shirts but like what do you do what do you tip what's the typical day like for you um i wake up and (laughs) (laughs) bless up (laughs) (laughs) and um i say my prayers um, and I have this one prayer that basically asked to ask God to like, it's kind of like we're co-laborers. And so it's like, I have my desires and my, my wants and things, but let those never come before what you would have for me in my life. So I, I try and read that prayer before I get started. And then, um, I'll usually like check Instagram because, um, there could be somebody commenting on a picture. Um, so I'll like make sure that I didn't overlook anybody's comments or questions um um i try and post in the morning because a lot of folks are up and awake in between that 8 a.m to 10 a.m block how you been dealing with the uh, the new algorithms i don't know what those are (laughs) yeah like i haven't i haven't really did any any... i think it's cool that um they show you the date that you posted versus like it's saying like two weeks ago or a month ago Mm -hmm. because honestly like i use Instagram to track like when we if we release the product or something mm-hmm. you know the stay woke jackets came out in October but I couldn't tell you exactly what day in October that we released them but now with Instagram I just scroll back and I'm like oh it was October <laughs> that's how you that's 17th. that's, that's like, your product calendar <laughs> not really like honestly <laughs> you know because once they're out they're out you know so uh so I'll go back and you know go through Instagram um gotta check Twitter um same thing for tweets, retweets. Um, there could have been a shooting overnight. There could have been an indictment. Um, there could have been a lot of different things um, happening on the on the activist scene. Um, so I'll check that. Uh, emails are always a never-ending beast. Um, so I have to tend to emails. Oh, um, and then, like, I try and like I try and have make time for what I call like creative enrichment. So whether that's reading a book, um, reading a magazine, articles, watching a TED talk, um, or even just like meeting with somebody, like another another creative mind and just talking, um, I try and build that into my day because it gets my brain going in a different direction than, you know, than responding to emails. Um, and sometimes like today I had to go pick up some merchandise. So I ran out to Rockville to do that. Um you know, meetings, meetings will happen. Like I'll could have a meeting at 10 PM. I could have a meeting at two 30. Like, you know, yesterday I was on, um, W W L V 
forget the exact call letters, on Listen Vision Live um, with Ashley on her show. Um, so that was like in the middle of the day. So it really just depends. Like no day is ever the same. Like I don't have a set schedule, but I know that I try and like if I'm tackling emails, then you know I'm like okay for for the next hour. Like I try and give myself a designated time period to do that. Then mm-hmm. it's like I'm doing that. Or if I'm like thinking about if I'm typing up the you know, our MailChimp mailing, our newsletter that goes out, that's like, okay, you're going to focus on this and only this for the next hour. Because, like, I think I have, like, low-key ADD or, like, ADHD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'll I'll just be like, oh, let me do this. And then the next thing you know, I'm, like, looking through emails and then I'm, like, scrolling through something else. And then it's, like, all of a sudden, two hours later, and I have never, I haven't even, you know, click send on that MailChimp newsletter I was trying to get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They got some They got some good apps that, close, that, that work with that. I got to shoot some links. Like, I've, uh, Luckily, I've, I think I've conquered that demon, but it's really hard because it just, especially your your mind just start boom, 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 boom. But yeah, nah, 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 nah. Uh, question, question, question. And I got a small new round. I always been, I've been testing it out in season two. I want to see how it rocks. It's like, what advice would you give? And basically, I got four quick questions, and you can kind of just go ad nauseum about what advice would you give to these people in this situation? Okay. Okay. Uh, first, do people that say they want to start a clothing brand? I would say think past the first three months or think past your first hundred, like whether you start with a hundred shirts or 50, like think past that. Like you always have to constantly ask yourself what's next. Mm, especially and I, 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 cause my, my friend, he has a uh, honor Riley out here in, in, in Durham. And the biggest thing he said was a uh, seasons. He didn't, he didn't take into account when he first started like seasons. So he's, he's brainstorming all these t-shirt ideas, but then it's the winter. It's like, boom. And then the summer and you're trying to get in the stores is a whole different is there's yeah. so many different levels. Cause when you're in the store, you're pitching months in advance and they want say a thousand. It's just a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So. And also like, what if, like, what if a celebrity wears your shirt or your, you know, your, your merchandise, like that can be, cause that can create a whole nother, like, it's a blessing, but it can be also a headache and it can be overwhelming because it's like, oh, all of a sudden, like, you know, Alex L is wearing my shirt and now I have like hella new orders. What do I do? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like thinking, thinking about the what ifs is important as well. Yeah. What advice would you give to a student with a lot of ideas, but no money? Mm, save, uh, write down those ideas and find somebody who find somebody with money. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. Like you did. You you came up with a business plan for five hundred dollars. That's crazy. My man, he couldn't just throw five hundred, but he, he came up with the business plan and you got it done. You got it done. So the third one is right up your alley. What advice would you give to a person with a business idea? And this is a, a, a adult out, out of school, but no experience really in entrepreneurship. Go for it. Um, because that's what I did. And I am I don't know what life would be like if I hadn't, you know, like I really don't because in that, like I had the epiphany that I didn't want to do broadcast journalism. Um, and I'm so much happier now. Like sometimes I was, uh, cleaning, like throwing some papers away. And I was like, I found, I came across like my old resumes and my resume tape. And like, I had, you know, different WQVZ and all these different, you know, local stations that I was looking at applying to. And I was like, huh, don't need this anymore. (laughs) But now the work that I do with Glossics is so much more fulfilling. So I think that, you know, if you have something that you're really passionate about, whether it's a good or a service, um, go for it. And like, you know, if you've got your degree, then praise God, you can always fall back on your degree. But if it if it has wings and it takes off, then like rock with it. Yeah. 
Uh, what advice would you give to a person who wants to quit their current business because they're not getting the results they thought? Um, their entrepreneurship business or their job? Uh, entrepreneurship. Um, I think that that's okay sometimes. I think weigh the pros and cons. Um, I have a friend um, who had his own clothing line um, and it happened. Um, and then I think it, I, I don't know if he, if he says that it failed or how he exactly he um, describes it, but what he went on to create um, is a, it's called district running collective. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my, that's my, that's my LB. He's acting on season two. Well, Matthew Green, shout out to yeah. Green. Yeah, Matt. So, you know, Matt went out on a limb, created something that we didn't even realize that DC didn't even realize that there was a need for. I think subconsciously we know and we internalize that there are not necessarily um, black friendly spaces for working out and that a lot of these, you know, distance runners and things like that that we see on TV are, are white and things like that. And so he created something that we desperately needed. Um, and also, like, it just helped so many folks get back in shape, feel better about themselves. Um, so you sometimes you have to give up something in order for something better to come. Sometimes you got to give up to glow up. Sometimes exactly. you got to give up to glow up. Yeah. Shout out. He's a, this whole podcast and it's freaking long, but we all we talk about is pivoting because I think that's a hard thing for a lot of entrepreneurs to really see the writing on the wall. And, and they think about it. Think of it. It's like such like, oh, I failed or I did this. But it's like, honestly, that could be your breakthrough to see. And OK, maybe if I pivot this way because the pivot like that, that you gotta study the pivot it creates space it gives you another opportunity it gives you another another way to get to the and all my basketball players know about the pivot and like you're stuck in a situation but you hit that pivot move and you got an easy layer of dunk so shout out to matt green and that whole movement man i can't wait to showcase them because they're doing some amazing work and i please pray that the community continues to support them financially so they can really take things to the next level okay Enough on that, man. Are you ready for the last round, the final round, right? Yes. Okay, the culture change round. This is a series of rapid-fire questions, and I would love to get rapid-fire answers. You ready to go? Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> what is the best advice you've ever received? Um, Just do it. What is one of your personal habits that you can attribute to your success? Praying, giving praise to God. Mm, simple, simple and plain. I love it. I love it. Bless up. What is your favorite book and why? Ooh, that's a tough one. Outside um, the Bible, please. <laughs> please. Don't say the Bible. <laughs> just, just do it. Pray the Bible. What keeps you motivated? God. What is the first thing you do as President of the United States? Get to pray back in school. Like, um, <laughs> I think I really like The Giver. Mm. Uh, I read that in eighth grade and I was going through a lot. Um, and it just kind of, it, opened my mind a lot to a lot of different spaces mm, i like that book did you did, uh, did you watch it on netflix i haven't yeah, watch it. It, it nah i actually don't watch it don't watch it you're good uh, well, well actually uh not a favorite book but um gil scott heron's uh biography is really dope i think especially for me being from dc mm -hmm. and so he would talk about like being at jazz clubs around dc he used to he was a professor at udc at the time um but there are just moments in the book like when they were talking about like uh when kennedy died or just significant people died like while being backstage at a concert with like stevie wonder and stuff just like really crazy moments um that was a super dope book to read i would i would recommend that got you got you what inspires the most and keeps you motivated um inspire i think i feel like uh what inspires me the most 
Um, I think other people, other people's gratitude for Gloss Rags inspires me to keep pushing and to keep creating. Um, because again, it's just like, I, I'm just a regular person who had an idea and just pushed for it to become a reality. And now the support, we, we exist because everybody else keeps coming back to, you know, patron our business. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, what was the second question? Yeah, that was it. What inspires you the most and keeps you motivated. Yeah. You got it. And like when people share stories like, yo, I was wearing this shirt um, and somebody asked me if it was a basketball team or (laughs) I was was getting dressed after swimming um, at the the, the YMCA and this white lady walked up to me and told me that her shirt made me uncomfortable. Or ever since I wore that shirt in in class and, you know, my professor always keeps a close eye on what T-shirts I, what T-shirt I'm wearing, you know? So like those type of stories, I love when people share them and it like, you know, sometimes it's like, I'm just like, exhausted or frustrated and then an email or a tweet will come in at like 2 a.m. and they're like thank you so much like or here's me and my shirt or like uh you know a parent will have put their shirt on like their little baby <laughs> so adorable always the cutest pictures right <laughs> so, like things like that i just really appreciate and that keeps me motivated for sure yeah if you were the president of the united states what is the first thing you would do i would take away guns from the police oh man Police gunless? Goodness gunless, gracious. Gunless police, yep. Got you, got you, got you. Um, and the last, the, one of the last questions in the show, because I have one more after this because I didn't talk about it. Um, and this is one of the most, actually, before I even get to this, this, this the last, last question, I do want to ask, because I'll be remiss, I always, always ask all my guests this. And it's like, uh, should I ask it? But hey, it is what it is. Um, from your experience, specifically through, uh, or it could be life, could you please share with your Sarah the audience? And it's like, great. This is the last. This is one of the last questions. So you really gonna ask this? But um, I, I might loop it and put it in the front. I don't know. But can you share with us one of your toughest experiences thus far and kind of what you learned from it? Yeah, I think that. Um, I mean, January was super hard for me. I think I was um, depressed a little bit because, like, last year was huge um, for us. Like being able to. So the Millennial Trains Project is a nonprofit that sponsors these cross-country journeys that allowed um, me to do those, to go and do those pop-up shops in those six different cities. So I had to crowdfund, crowd, crowdfund five thousand dollars just to get on board, and I did that in a month, which blew my mind. Um, and then we had events pretty much every month um, out of 2015. Uh, Fast Company wrote about us, um, the Fader Complex, all these things happened, and then we had. Um, you know, the Stay Woke jackets dropped and those were, people were just like so hype about those. Um, and that was like, that was huge because it, it's really, it can be really uh, like nerve wracking putting something new out, especially completely different from the accounting collection. Mm-hmm. But those went over really well. Um, holiday season came around. Business is always great, always great in November and December. January hits and retail sales drop off tremendously because everybody then spent their money. Um and then the pressure of creating something that there's not only a demand for, but there's an expectation that can be very, very um, harrowing. And so I was very like, I didn't know what I was like, how do I how do I top 2015? Like, how do I do better? How do I do do bigger and better than last year? But then I was like literally like in my bed, like had the blinds closed, everything under the covers, like, you know, I wasn't responding. I wasn't on top of 
emails. Like I, I usually try to be, and I just really had to like pray about it and go to God and be like, God, like, please like help me. I don't know what to do. And also like, you know, people do forget that black folks are dying and that we go through this type of trauma each and every day and that we're being, you know, profiled and all these things discriminated against. So if, if the mainstream media gets quiet, especially now this year being an election year, um, and like cops will quote unquote calm down and like, maybe there's not like a super blatant example of somebody being shot and killed by police, then our sales drop off. And that's like a huge part of our revenue is people buying shirts. Um, and so figuring out like, how do we like, how do we generate money, you know, for the company to keep going? So that was really hard for me, but I just like prayed and God was like, he was like, look, you ain't do any of that last year. He was like, that was all me. You were just like, you're just the person enacting, you know, you're just like the, the humble servant, you know? So I was like, you're right. And, and then, and of course, like <laughs> me and God have real, um, and then, like, he was like, yeah, girl, like, I could top your whole 2015 in one day, you know? And one day in 2016, if I if I felt like it, I could just completely surpass everything that you thought was dope in 2015 in one day. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you right. So once I kind of put it in perspective, that really put it in perspective to me that, like, you know, year 2015 in your personal life, in your professional life, is not going to look like your 2016 and that doesn't mean that you're failing and that doesn't mean necessarily that you're doing something wrong it just means that it's different as it should be um and so that was really like once i got over that hurdle um and i and having to make the decision to um to to actually like take the full shop offline was really hard because again like it was literally saying like no like we don't want your money right now we need to internally work on some things um and we'll we'll be back, you know. Like that was a really hard decision, and it got challenging from a financial standpoint as well. But now I feel so much better. Like like I appreciate you, you know, that giving us a little dap for the website. Um, but I worked really hard on redoing the whole website and mm-hmm. and making sure that it showed the diversity of Glossics that we don't just make T-shirts, but we do have a podcast. Um, you know. Uh, I do write um, about my experiences and, and, you know, I just came back from Flint. Um, I was in Flint for a week in the end of uh, March and writing about that experience and documenting that as well. Like sharing those things um, because it is a part of the struggle um, like that just that was really hard for me, um, but it was necessary. And I'm, I'm thankful that like sometimes you really do have to pump the brakes. And take time for yourself and just be like, okay, like, it's awesome. I think it's in in so many ways I think about, like, so, like, huge celebrities and how fame is cool, but it can also be really overwhelming. Um, And it can be really toxic at times, too. And so not that I I don't consider myself famous at all, but, like, sometimes you really do just need to, like, step away from it all. And, like, I, you know, I stopped, I really wasn't going out. Like, I was just very low-key um because i was like i just need some time away and i need to make sure that like you know that that my like my heart is good you know and that gloss rags like you know just make sure that everything's good so no i feel you i feel you and that's uh that's pivotal i think a lot of times uh especially when things are prohibitively growing well from from an outside perspective it's easy for people to be like oh man where's it at like what's the minimal rule but when you when you have a uh, a project working on something that is very creative in nature, 
it's just very difficult to continue to innovate without having time or space. And then plus, people too. I mean, when when people are waiting for something, you just need a little gap to kind of have them expecting or whatnot, or to, to be ready for new ideas and innovation. So, I'm I, I've done. I'm a big proponent of kind of taking taking those breaks, refreshing, getting getting charged up again. So you can come at it in a different angle because, you know, if you continue the same things, eventually it's going to taper off. So and I love the new look, the feel of the site and the direction is kind of going where that it can it can survive droughts of clothing. Because as you kind of continue to get into that event space and, and honestly curating certain things, then I mean, I guess in the future and I, dang, I didn't even ask in the future. Sheesh, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> all over the place with this thing. I got I guess I got to make one small pivot. What's next for Gloss Rags in 2016? Um, so we have, uh, we're working on a documentary mm-hmm. with the footage that we shot um, in those six cities last year. So hopefully that will come out by the end of 2016. Um, we do have new products in the work. I'm not going to say what just yet, but those are coming. Um, we're continuing to do community events here in D.C. Um, my hope is that we'll be able to, do, you know, go on the road a little bit during the summer and do some vending and community building as well. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of all that comes to mind immediately. Uh, you know, everything like creativity can hit you in the shower, like yeah. <laughs> in the car, you know. And sometimes if if it's an idea, you just uh, you know, I'll think about it and be like, all right, let me see, let me see how this works, or let me see if this can work, and we'll go from there. So. Last question in the, the future round. When it's all said and done, what do you want the legacy? And legacy is a heavy word, but I think is we're old now. Legacy of rending loss to be. Um, I think that the legacy is just that I helped to continue to um, document our history to make sure that we as a people are not forgotten, we're not overshadowed, we're not discredited, um, we're not devalued, because I think that um, Erica Badu says it towards the end of the Black Power mixtape documentary where she's like, we have to tell our own stories because when you allow somebody else to tell your story, it's really not your story. It becomes something different. Um, And I just really hope that through, you know, preserving the names of the brothers and sisters um, through the shirts, doing storytelling with our podcast, with the documentary and other media product, product, uh, projects. I just really hope that, you know, those will continue to um, to, to exist and, and to contribute and, you know, hold us down, give us hope, give us inspiration. I hope that people will come back to them. Um, and, hey, maybe, maybe one day I'll write a book or something. And I hope that that book will be something that is passed down from generations to generations too. Yeah, man, it's so exciting to hear someone that has a pulse of the cultures doing great things, but they knew know that this is like the first step. Like I and I foresee it already. I know that the t-shirts and clothing is is huge. It's going to continue to be huge, but um, I think with your 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 brain power and the team around you and the supportive people in DC in general, this is just a cusp. This is not even a point one percent of what impact that y'all going to make and i definitely uh i'm excited about the journey so to 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 our last question of the podcast and this is the most important question because i call myself the culture change agent what we do with this podcast who we bring on the show is all revolved around people of color that are continuously breaking the mold breaking the cycle and changing the culture so if you could change one thing about society most specifically our african-american culture 
what would it be and why? Um, I think that I would change how little we know about ourselves as a people in this country. Um, I think that, I think like learning about your culture should be a requirement. Um, and I think that it would just provide so much more inspiration and creativity um, instead of like, you know, it, it definitely hurts to, to see some of our black brothers and sisters like underachieving in, in many different ways or just not even thinking that they can be somebody or that there's more to their life than, like, than their block um, and things like that. Like I just really would want to bring back that, you know, pro-black pride within ourselves um and celebrate ourselves as the people versus like trying to chase down a mainstream image of what we should be or or what you know what we're supposed to be amen amen on that note on that note on that note where can our audience find everything about you about your podcast about your company find out the shirts where can we find you at online yeah so um online for our events for our goods for our podcast um, interviews that's just right at glossrags.com to check me out on instagram it's just randy r-a-n-d-i gloss g-l-o-s-s and um our twitter is just glossrags all like like greg said (laughs) she gonna make sure i hit it with the email she was like oh you misspelled i said what i misspelled you got the all cast i'm like oh no You know, all, all uppercase um, on on Twitter and Facebook. So, yeah, check us out. Gotcha, gotcha. We'll be sure to run that throughout the show. So make sure that um the people can get it popping. So on that note, I would like to thank you and Minority Trailblazer Nation. Would like to thank you. <laughs> I know, I know. Like, further ado, thank you, Miss Gloss, for, for your presence. Giving us an hour of your time. Our time you cannot get back. So thank you so much. No doubt. Thank you for having me. Oh no! You just tuned in to another episode of the Minority Trailblazer podcast. And I just want to say thank you so, 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 so much for the support. I mean, every week the audience grows. People continue to rate and review. And I love it. I love it. I love it. So remember, if you haven't left a review on this podcast, please do so now. Also, if you haven't bought a copy of my book, Please do now. Remember, I still got a special for my podcast listeners. Greggyhill.com backslash podcast book. You can get it on discount. And yo, have a great remainder of the week. I look forward to rapping with you next Thursday. Who we got next Thursday? Next Thursday, we got Dominique Broadway, queen of finance. She's going to be dropping a lot of nuggets on finance, development, growth, and also some. she's real candid about her, her story. So I hope y'all can tune in. I look forward to y'all tuning in. Remember, share the episode, review the episode, follow the episode, and let's continue the movement. All right, everybody? And, and like I always do it, like I always do it, like I always do it, I need to do one thing. What is that one thing, Mr. Hill? That one thing is change the freaking culture. Good night.